this season of Advent, that you would now prepare our hearts and our minds to receive your message, and that regardless of what we're going through and what we have been through, that you will now uh, teach and give us knowledge that will not only make us more insightful, but also cause us to be inspirational to the people around us because we have been inspired by the hope that we have from you. God, we live in a world that is in need of some hope now more than ever. And so give us that hope now so that we can share it with those around us. And now, Lord, would you bless this message in spite of the one who brings it. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Have you ever experienced the death of a dream? Again, have you ever experienced the death of a dream? And furthermore, what have you done in the aftermath in the death of one of your dreams? The reason why I ask that is because according to Proverbs 13, 12, it says this, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, which is simply another way of saying dreams that get delayed deteriorates the soul, which makes a person wonder, what would happen to somebody if their hope, instead of being deferred, never comes to pass? What would happen if a person's dreams, instead of being delayed, actually dies and gets destroyed before them? I would venture to guess, and I don't think I would be wrong to say this, that if a person suffered the trauma of their dreams dying on them, they would experience something so earth-shattering they may never be able to recover from it, even if we're talking about dreams that come across as somewhat silly or superficial. Case in point, many moons ago, I was a youth pastor, and I remember one Sunday morning I came to church, and one of my youth group students came up to me to tell me that her favorite K-pop band broke up. They disbanded, and they were no more. And my student proceeded to tell me that many fans of this K-pop group were so upset, so devastated by the disbandment that they resorted to suicide. It's true. Some people in Korea and even in America were so upset by the disbanding of this K-pop band that they resorted to killing themselves. Now, when she told me this, I thought, how stupid and silly a person must be to let something so superficial cause them to do something so serious end their own life? Now, when I shared my sentiments with my student at the time, she proceeded to unleash her adolescent fury against me because she said, Pastor, this group didn't just sing silly songs that young teenagers think about. No, they sung songs of hope that encouraged their fans to dream some very significant, worthy dreams that we human beings all need to keep going on in life. Dreams of a happy marriage, dreams of lifelong love, dreams of loyal friendship. But then she went on to say, but when this group died by being broken up, it was as if the hopes that the singers and songwriters of this band inspired their fans to dream also died, and they simply followed through with their bodies what they felt on the inside. Now, when my student told me this, I thought to myself, wow, you're a pretty deep kid. <laughs> but I also realized that dreams are so powerful to where even if objectively they're silly or superficial, if a person takes it serious enough and those dreams die, it can cause a person to want to self-destruct. And so with that in mind, I wonder about you guys. When you think about some of the dreams on your side of adulthood that are more significant, more serious than our childhood ones, what would happen to you if those dreams ended up shattering before you, if they ended up dying as well? 
We're continuing our Advent sermon series, Christmas According to the Old Testament. And today I want to talk about how the message of Christmas can bring healing and restoration to us when we all face the inevitability of our wholesome, good dreams, dreams that keep us going, dreams that make us integrious, dreams that make us decent people die on us. What happens when dreams die on you? This is what Christmas came to help you to overcome. And the way that we're going to approach this is by considering the death of the dream of the nation of Israel that was embodied through an individual named Jesse. And it is my hope and prayer that as you hear today's message, not only would you be edified, but you would be equipped to be armed with the truth that you need so that you don't become devastated and despairing when the inevitability of your dreams dying on you. So with that in mind, three things I'd like to share with you. First, we're going to talk about the death of Jesse's dream. Then we're going to talk about the challenge to Jesse's dream. And then we're going to end it with the shoot of Jesse's dream. The death of Jesse's dream, the challenge of Jesse's dream, and the shoot of Jesse's dream. Let's begin with the first point, the death of Jesse's dream. Let's begin with verse 1 of our passage where it reads as following, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Now I want to draw your attention to that phrase, the stump of Jesse, because I want to ask this question, who is Jesse? Who in the world is this person that this phrase is referencing, the stump of Jesse? Well, if you read the book of 1 Samuel, there you would come to discover that Jesse was a very prominent Jewish nobleman. But the thing that makes him stand out throughout Jewish history and Jewish culture is that he had a very, very famous son. You may have heard of him, a man by the name of King David, arguably the most successful, the most powerful, the greatest king Israel ever had. Think George Washington, Abe Lincoln, Winston Churchill, all rolled into one, and you get the sentiment of the stature that David enjoyed as king of Israel. In fact, David was such a success, he forever immortalized his father's name to where any time anyone heard the name Jesse, they would immediately think of the great legacy that King David lived out as the king. Of Israel. But here's the thing. If you read the Old Testament, one recurring message that you get is that the only legitimate royal line that God recognized and the people of God recognized as the one able to lead God's people was from the line of David, the royal dynasty of David. Which means if Israel was to be a great nation, it required the kings of David's line to be great kings. But conversely, if any of David's progeny, the kings of Israel, if they failed to live up to the standards that God called them to, Israel would be a doomed nation. It would fail as a nation. You see, you can't have a great nation without a great royal dynasty. Which is why it gets so discouraging when you read our passage because by the time Isaiah penned these words, he refers to the great Davidic dynasty as what? The stump of Jesse? The stump of Jesse. Now we all know what a stump is. It's what's left behind after a growing massive tree is cut down. And here's the thing you need to understand. In the Bible, trees were the symbol of life, happiness, hope, joy, and blessings from God. Do you guys remember what the symbol of life was in the Garden of Eden? It was the tree of life. Trees are the biblical symbol of life, hope, happiness, joy, and blessings, which makes you wonder, what do you think the symbol of a stump of a tree is to convey? The exact opposite, right? Despair, failure, shame, Death, sorrow, defeat, indeed, that is what the stump of Jesse is embodying. And in, in some ways, this is not too foreign to our own culture today. Over the years, Sarah and I have read many children's books to our five kids. And one of our recurring favorites that we enjoyed reading to them 
was the book by Shel Silverstein, The Giving Tree. Do you guys read that book, The Giving Tree? Yeah, great book, but just in case you've never heard of it, it's a story about this apple tree and its devoted love to a little boy to where all the tree cares about. The only dream the apple tree has is to make the boy happy. And so the story starts off with the tree giving all of its apples for the boy to eat so he can eat it and be happy. And not only that, the tree gives all of its branches for the boy to climb and to have fun in so the boy could be happy. In fact, the tree is so focus on making this boy happy that he goes so far to give itself his entire trunk to this boy which at the point of the story is now a grown man and married why because this boy wants to build a house for his wife because that would make her happy and hence make him happy you know happy wife happy life kind of thing and so the tree gives its full trunk to where all that is left is a stump towards the end of the story the little boy now an old man revisits the tree stump right after decades of absence, and as this old man, former little boy, approaches the tree, the tree stump says these very heart-wrenching words, quote, I'm sorry, boy, said the tree. I have nothing left to give you. My apples are gone. My branches are gone, too. You cannot swing on them. Even my trunk is gone. You cannot climb. I'm sorry, sighed the tree. I wish I could give you something, but I have nothing left. I'm just an old stump. You know, you read these words and you can easily pick up the sense of shame, defeat, and failure because the dream this tree had has been completely cut down as it was cut down. It cannot fulfill its dream of loving this boy faithfully, unconditionally. That sense of despair and shame and failure is what was going on in the mind of every Israelite symbolized by the stump of Jesse because the nation of Israel also had a dream as a nation. They dreamed of being the greatest nation on earth where God protected them and blessed them to where they would be immune from the common struggles and trials of the surrounding nations. Devastating wars, their cities being destroyed, their families being torn apart where little babies are dying of hunger on the street. Stuff like that happened all the time to the pagan nations but Israel dreamed that God would bless and protect them to where they would flourish their families would grow their cities would thrive and in many ways God actually encouraged and even endorsed these dreams in their hearts because he made a promise a covenant with David which we preached on last week that if David and his descendants faithfully followed God as the kings of Israel Israel would flourish But we all know that the Davidic dynasty failed in so many ways. And as a result, the dream they had as a nation was completely destroyed. It was cut down, all culminating in the moment when the Babylonian Empire conquered Israel and took away the last reigning king of the Davidic line. Now, we need to pause for just a moment as I ask this question of application. If it is possible for Israel's dream, which was endorsed by God, right, If those dreams could be shattered, then what makes you think that any of our dreams here and now, which are not endorsed by God, could not suffer the same fate? The answer is they can and they will. Do you know why? Because you and I live in the same reality that Israel lived in. We live in a reality where hopes get dashed, dreams get destroyed, things that we planned for never come to fruition. We live in a world where reality is always cutting down our dreams. That is what happens all the time. Many years ago, one of my former friends from high school asked me to officiate his wedding, which I was gladly to do. And I remember being such a joyous, wonderful occasion where I got to reconnect and reminisce with my high school friends, you know, kind of reliving those glory days, as they say. 
But I remember that night at the reception that my friend who got married, he was having a great time, but I could tell something crucially important was missing at that moment that was robbing him of the full joy he should have been experiencing. And I knew exactly what was missing, his father. See, earlier that year, his father suddenly passed unexpectedly due to a heart attack. Yeah. And I remember the night before the wedding, I asked how he was doing, how he was responding to all this wonderful occasion with the very visible absence of his father. And he said, you know what, John, I got to be honest. I'm a little heartbroken here. Yeah, it's hard for me to really be present because I always dreamed of this moment, even back when we were in high school together. And I dreamed specifically that my dad would be with me as I'm dancing with the woman who now shares his last name. But it ain't happening, and it won't happen. And you know what? What my friend experienced is something that we all have or will experience because we live in a reality that is always cutting down and destroying the dreams of our hearts, just like we live in a world that's constantly cutting down the trees around us. This is the reality that we are in. And the question is, what do we do when we're confronted with this reality, with the destruction of our own dreams? The answer leads me to my next point, which is the challenge for Jesse's dream. Let's skip down to verses 6 all the way down to verse 9, and it reads this. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. And the little child shall lead him, the cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So here, Isaiah prophesies about a future to come, okay? A sneak preview to the ending of what we call history. And if you read the details of this reality that is coming, it is unlike the reality you and I are currently living in. Why? Because it describes certain scenarios that are simply not possible here and now. A lamb lying down with a wolf, a leopard lying down with a goat, stuff like that does not happen in this reality. And yet Isaiah says it is so possible in this reality to come where stuff like this will happen all the time. What is Isaiah doing? Isaiah is challenging us to put our hopes into dreams that are bigger and better than the dreams that we put our hopes in here and now. In other words, Isaiah is telling us to make sure our hope is in the right dream. Let me explain. You know, when a person goes through the trauma of their dreams being dead, being destroyed, being shattered, they most likely go through something known as despair. We referred to it earlier. But what exactly is despair? What does a person go through when they're experiencing this thing known as despair? I recently came across a description or definition of it by a pastor that I thought really hit the nail on the head. Listen to how he describes or defines despair. He says this, quote, Despair, the utter absence of any sense of hope accompanied by feelings of powerlessness. Despair leads to resignation and possibly to suicide. Despair looks at the world and notes its emptiness, the lack of true relational intimacy, and the utter blackness of death. It concludes that life is not worth it. This is the core of all forms of despair, abandonment, loss, the death of desire, and a stubborn refusal to hope. This is what is highly likely to a person when they experience the death of a dream. They fall into deep, dark despair, and Isaiah is imploring us, 
Don't let that happen to you, Christian. As tempting as it is when you go through the death of a dream, do not let yourself fall into this kind of despair. Because if you do, you're going to come to the stubborn conclusion that the only reality that exists is this cold-blooded, cruel wilderness that we live in right now where there's nothing but senseless tragedies to where the only thing you can say with certainty is that life is not worth it. And Isaiah says, that's wrong. That is not true. Life is so worth it, evidenced by the fact that there is another reality beyond the one that we're in right now. And if you put your faith to the point where you get into this reality, not only could you have the dreams that died on you here in this world, but you can have dreams that are not even possible in this world. Isaiah is imploring us, he's challenging us to put our hope into bigger and better dreams than the one we put in now. Why is that? Because here's the truth of the matter. The current dreams that we put our hope in, they don't last. Think about some of the hopes right now that are driving your life, that are giving you the momentum and the motivation to live the life that you're living. Some of you guys are dreaming of walking down the aisle or that person walking down the aisle towards you to where you can face each other and say, I do. That's your dream. For others of you, your dream is to be in that hospital room staring at this thing that you love more than you ever thought was possible who bears your image. That's your dream. For others of you, your dream is to be in some beautiful, far-off place with that one person that you built an entire life with, and that could be how you spend the remaining years of your life. That's your dream. Now, these are great, glorious, beautiful, wholesome dreams, and they're good. But here's something that you need to understand, and please don't take this the wrong way. Those dreams will one day end, and they will fade away. All dreams on this side of life do not last forever. Yeah, the moment you say I do is the moment that you begin of how to be married and stay married to where something as silly as like, who let the toothpaste cap off? You know, it doesn't cause you to to want to fall into a, a murderous rage against your spouse. You also have to figure out how you're going to live on just two hours of sleep because your baby is always crying, that baby that you were holding, oh, I love you so much, while also working a full-time job. And that wonderful trip that you have with your significant other has to end because you got to get back home and refill your prescriptions so that you can remain continent with your bladder. Like we all experience certain dreams in life that eventually fade away. And Isaiah's warning us, don't put your hope on these fading dreams. Do you know why? Hope by design, hope by definition is supposed to keep going. Hope is not supposed to fade away. Hope is not supposed to diminish. Hope is supposed to be ongoing. In other words, hope is an experience that has the characteristics of eternity, which means Isaiah is telling us that you need to tether your hope onto a dream that matches the design of hope. It must be an eternal dream. You must place your hope on a dream that does not fade, that does not diminish, that does not decay. You must put your hope in an eternal dream. That's what Isaiah is telling us. But here's the question. What is this eternal dream that he's telling us we are to hope in instead of the earthly dreams that we hope in now? Well, this leads me to my final point, the shoot of Jesse's dream. Let's pick it back up 
in verse 1 to 5 where it reads this. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill Kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his ways and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Here Isaiah identifies what this eternal dream is. And it's all centered on a person that he calls the shoot of the stump of Jesse. Now I find that to be such an interesting description. Because notice Isaiah doesn't refer to a shoot that emerges out of the ground apart from or independent of the stump of Jesse. But it emerges out of the stump of Jesse. What does that tell us? It tells us that this eternal dream that Isaiah is referring to is a fulfillment of our earthly dreams. In other words, there's an organic connection between all of our earthly dreams and this eternal dream Isaiah speaks of that is centered on a person that he calls the shoot of the stump of Jesse. Yeah, which means what? It means that all the hopes that we have in our earthly dreams, whether we recognize it or not, is actually a subconscious hope for this eternal dream, even if we're not consciously even aware of its existence. Let me see if I can explain with this somewhat silly illustration. I've used this before. Um, Imagine you're eating a four-course meal. I don't know if you guys have ever had the opportunity. I haven't, but I've read about this thing called four-course meals, right? And the way it works is that Every course leads up to the main course, right? The first course is usually what? It's kind of bite-sized appetizer, maybe a soup. And then you go to the second course, which is a nice, you know, a hearty dinner meal. And then you go to the third course, which is the main course. It's the main dish. And you know the way course meals work. The previous courses are not designed to make you satisfied with that. No, it's designed to provoke you and to prepare you for the main dish, right? In other words, it's pointing to and preparing you for that dish. These previous courses, they're not trying to keep you satisfied and content with them. They're trying to get you to yearn for more, specifically for the main course, right? That dynamic is very parallel to how we should see the relationship between our earthly dreams to this eternal dream. All of our earthly dreams, our dreams for marriage, our dreams for children, our dream for a wonderful retirement is to provoke you in such a way that it points to and prepares you for this eternal dream, which is what? Scripture says it's with communion and fellowship with God. That is the eternal dream. That is the underlying hope behind all the hopes of children, of marriage, of retirement, of being with a stable family. It is ultimately a desire to be in communion and fellowship with God. All the wonderful enjoyments that you have of all the earthly dreams that get fulfilled in your life is to prepare you and point you to that wonderful, glorious dream to come. But one question that you may be wondering is, Pastor, what do I do if some of my earthly dreams have already died on me? Because it's happened. Yeah. How can I prepare? How can I be provoked for this eternal dream when the means to get me there has died on me, when it's been cut down by the cruelty of this life? And this is where the message of Christmas is so wonderful. Because what the message of Christmas tells us is that this eternal dream has come down to us because it's come down through the person who became one of us. God became man 
in the form of a babe in a manger in Bethlehem all those years ago. And even though he came in the form that seemed so fragile, so weak, and therefore susceptible to the destruction that all of our dreams come under, Isaiah says that is not true of this person. Listen to how he describes Jesus in verse 4. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Jesus is so powerful, so authoritative, that all the forces that destroy our dreams cannot touch him. Jesus is the indestructible one, and therefore the dream he comes to fulfill cannot be destroyed by anything in this world, in this reality. And because that is so, if that is your dream, Christian, that means even if your earthly dreams here and now have died on you, you can still have hope. You do not need to fall in despair. You can continue on as the person that your dreams are calling you and summoning you to become. And let me just pause and just address those of you right now who've experienced the death of a dream already. Because I feel like this is really the crux of today's message. Are you listening? Hear me. Honor your fallen dreams by maintaining the hope it was preparing you for by putting your hope and keeping your hope on Jesus. Yeah, because if you do that, that means your dreams have not died in vain. Instead, you have fulfilled the ultimate goal of what your earthly dreams were designed to do. If you put your hope in Christ and the dream he came to fulfill, it doesn't matter if those earthly dreams that were preparing you for it has died on you prematurely because the hope of your earthly dreams has been fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ where you can now understand and you can now anticipate the joy of one day being fully in God's presence where you're completely, fully loved and you are free to love him. This is our hope. Christian. This is what gives us the strength to carry on when sometimes the marriage never comes or the children are never born or maybe the spouse doesn't make it with you to the end of retirement. The hope that we have is all centered on the eternal dream that Christ has come to fulfill that your earthly dreams was simply preparing you for. Our earthly dreams are not designed to keep you content on itself anymore. A salad is supposed to satisfy you in a four-course meal. No, your dreams are to provoke and to prepare you for what Christ has established for you on Christmas Day. Do you guys see that? If you do, this is my challenge. Go out into this world and live out this hope here and now. Do you know why? Because we live in a world filled with people who need this hope. Because the only hope they have is tethered to their earthly dream. And many of them have already experienced the trauma of those dreams dying on them. Sometimes literally being cut down by the harshness of life. But you can come alongside them and point them to the hope that they can have their ultimate dream fulfilled that was yearning in their earthly dreams. You can point them to Jesus Christ. Will you point it to them? Will you point Christ to them by you living out that hope and sharing him with those around you? My hope and prayer is that would be your calling this season and every season of your life. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, as we think about the meaning of Advent and why it occurred, Lord, sometimes we forget 
that it's also to restore the deepest sorrow that we go through, one of which being our dreams being shattered and cut down by the harshness of this reality that we are in. But Lord, as we sung a moment ago, there is the dawning of new light and therefore eternal hope because you have fulfilled the eternal dream that is behind every earthly dream that we pursue. God, we pray that we would remember this, especially if some of us here have already suffered the death of a dream. Lord, help us to honor these fallen dreams by maintaining our hope in your son, Jesus. Help us to make sure that our dreams have not fallen in vain by keeping our hope in the gospel of the Christmas message. Help us to live this out so that our neighbors could see that even though some of their more wholesome, precious dreams have died on them, hope has not. Help us to be ambassadors of this hope by living it out and sharing its message. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.